Jeremy and Matt here, just uh, letting you know that we're doing something new for this episode called Cornucopia One-on-One. It's a series of interviews, less scripted and less produced, but equally informative. Long story short, we had a lot of fun making our first six episodes, but it was also extremely time-consuming. Plus, it's pedicab season here in San Francisco, and we're working the tricycle hustle to pay the bills. So we're trying to produce something a lot more quickly here, and it's a bit of an experiment, but hope you enjoy. Toodles. (laughs) (laughs) This is Cornucopia. Hey folks, welcome back. Uh, for those of you that listen to the show, these one-on-ones started out as a way for us to lessen up our production time and create some interesting content, but they're turning into something really great. If you haven't listened previous, check out our interview with Michael Moss. He's the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Salt, Sugar, Fat. We also had a great time speaking with David Leibovitz, the famed pastry chef, food blogger, Paris expat, a really charming guy. Check that out, our episode seven. And today we're going to talk with Mike Movitz again. Mike spoke with us about Amazon Whole Foods. He's a consultant. You can learn more about him at movitzgroup.com. And uh, he's someone I'm pleased to call a friend and a colleague both. And Mike, good to have you back. Thank you, man. Good to be back. Let's talk about Campbell's a company that made canned foods a staple in every American kitchen and currently a company that's undergoing a lot of um, transformation. Before we begin, I'll just read a list of a few of the, the brands they own. Prego, SpaghettiOs, Pepperidge Farm, Bolthouse Farms, V8, Pace Salsa, Plum Organics Baby Food, and most recently purchase of Pacific Foods, a natural and organic soup maker. Mike, um, give us a little update on what Campbell's has been doing and why it's important in terms of this current shift in consumer focus away from more processed to less processed foods. Yeah, I think to understand where Campbell's is headed, uh, we need to understand the context of what's happening in general in the uh, traditional food world. You know, there are, there are seismic shifts going on on a number of fronts. Um, consumer eating habits have changed dramatically. Um, when we think about um, the idea of uh, three square meals a day, only 5% of consumers are actually eating three square meals a day. That is, that is a thing of the past. Um, 90% of consumers today snack multiple times a day. And the lines between snacking and, and a snack and a meal is, is blurring. Um, so that's one thing. Um, but then there's a whole host of other things. There's, there's changes in the demographics and how people um, are uh, interacting with and thinking about food in their life, um, the importance of, of good food in their life, their um, ideas about what, uh, uh, how transparent uh, a company is and how they can um, relate to that company. Um, how authentic that company is and the values that that company has as it relates to uh, the uh, consumer values. Of course, there's uh, e-commerce and digital mobile technology that uh, is disrupting retail and our shopping and buying habits. 
uh, home delivered meals and meal kits and prepared foods. And then uh, the shift from what we call center store, where all the dry, non-refrigerated, non-frozen uh, products are, to the perimeter departments where the refrigerated and fresher food departments are, whether that's uh, dairy, produce, uh, deli, uh, meat, seafood, uh, prepared foods, et cetera. So all of these things have um, been, been occurring at a, uh, a breakneck speed, much faster than companies have uh, were prepared for, nor um, was it really foreseen coming as a result of the speed of change that's happening, as well as um, the number of changes that are happening. This is a very fluid and new dynamic that literally is rewriting the playbook uh, for the path to consumer as we speak. Um, and uh, traditional CPG companies really were built on a business model of scale for efficiency. That really hindered their ability to uh, adapt and respond and react and, and move, uh, you know, with, with any kind of speed. So what, what we started to see a number of years ago, the natural and organic and specialty products industry had been growing very well for a long time, um, but suddenly it was becoming much more front and center and it was where all the growth was. More than $20 billion in market share has been lost by traditional CPGs over the last five or so years, and it's all moved to these smaller startup and, and natural and organic specialty premium product uh, companies. And so um, as uh, traditional CPG has started to um, uh, get a grasp on what has been changing, companies are starting, have started to and are starting to um, um, change, as they like to say, they're modernizing their portfolio. Um, they're also focusing in on e-commerce and digital marketing strategies and uh, looking to improve their, their portfolio also through mergers and acquisitions, buying companies uh, like these natural organic brands. In fact, as you mentioned with Campbell's and, and um, Pacific as really almost a way of replacing their, their former R&D, their research and development budgets uh, and, and efforts have shifted more to uh, investment and, and acquisition of companies uh, because it gets them to that point faster just as a quick side note, there's almost a billion dollars in venture capital funds that are now available from about 10 or so traditional CPG companies. General Mills, Campbell's, Pepsi, Danone, Kellogg's, Tyson, Coke, Purina, Unilever, uh, Mars. They all, have, they all have venture funds now, um, generally $100 million or more, uh, with the intent and purpose of investing in and um, in, in these uh, smaller upstart brands to try to uh, get a, um, a quicker uh, jump on some of the trends and, uh, and in the process acquires a consumer base, acquires uh, know-how in the marketplace, and um, uh, a supply chain that is already where uh, the traditional CPG wants to go. But again, because of their size and scale, you know, they can't just turn on a dime and, you know, they have billions of dollars uh, in existing sales for their traditional products. And so even though the growth is coming from healthier, fresher, more transparent uh, companies and products, um, uh, it's not where all the business is right now. And so they can't just, um, you know, turn on a dime and, and uh, convert their entire portfolio overnight. So it does take time. And uh, as they transform their, themselves internally, uh, you know, 
acquiring these companies and uh, introducing some new some new products and, and making some incremental changes on their existing products helps them uh, move towards that, that goal. Yeah, Mike, and let's go back to the current competitive landscape. Basically, they're in the center of a storm. Where do you see the ability of these large CPGs to revamp some of their brands to respond to that as opposed to in the case of Campbell's buying Pacific Foods, um, all companies, all these companies right now are essentially uh, going through a transformation for all of the reasons and all of the elements uh, that I just uh, mentioned. Um, but the difference is that there are leaders, there are followers, and there are laggards in the process. And I will tell you that um, without doubt, a doubt, um, Campbell's is absolutely the leader among its peers for um, making these kind of changes, bold statements, aspirational visions of who they want to be and what they want to become. Um, and uh, there are many other companies that are looking to make changes, but not to the extent that, Holf that um, Campbell's has uh, declared in where they want to go and what they want to be. What happened to Campbell's much lauded launch in 2015 of Campbell's Organic. Why did the Campbell's branded effort under their own name fail? And why did they then turn to buying a company for an extremely high price? A similar product, similar package, similar price point. The Campbell's Organic Soup um, hasn't failed. It's still very much in play. It's a, it's a big part of the Campbell's uh, soup line. And in fact, they just introduced a, a whole new line called Well Yes, um, which is a canned soup, shelf-stable canned soup, but it's it's very much in the uh, model and image of a traditional natural foods company. It's it's very unusual for a consumer to only be shopping or desiring one particular type of product or brand, you know, when they uh, when they shop a category. So having both um, does allow for reaching those different consumer types, and um, uh, as I mentioned a, a moment ago, that um, you know a, a natural food company, particularly one the size and, and scope and breadth of uh, Pacific, has an established equity in a uh, brand equity and um, consumer following that Campbell's can tap into um, and make even stronger. Um, you know, through putting by putting the uh, Pacific brand into their own distribution system. Um, into leveraging the efficiencies of their supply chain, the uh, power behind a, a traditional CPG that can bring to uh, a natural food company. Well, given the small margins in the soup and grocery category in general, one of the things I always think of when I read about these acquisitions is when Clorox bought Burt's Bees for just under a billion dollars and a short period of time later had written down the value of that acquisition had taken a net loss of 250 million. Within their purchase of Pacific, their 2012 purchase of Bolthouse Farms for I think it was 1.3 billion. To your mind, it's clearly adding opportunities by expanding their base as opposed to a lack of innovation within the organization. Well, I uh, I can't I don't want to speak to valuations. Um, those are you know uh, time time will tell on valuations in terms of what what uh, companies spend on those acquisitions. But 
the intention and the strategy behind those acquisitions is pretty clear in terms of you know getting a company that that jumpstart and uh, and uh, being able to uh, harness the uh, success that a that a natural company has had. Um, their consumers have preferences, and a consumer that shops for the Pacific Food brand um, versus a consumer that shops for the Campbell's Organic brand have very different profiles, different needs, um, interests, values, um, household uh, profiles, buying behaviors, um, levels of engagement with their food. And so, I mean, the reason why we have so many different um, choices in the supermarket is because there are so many different preferences uh, and there's many different drivers and, and criteria that a consumer makes when, when buying a product. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of great things that uh, the power behind a, a traditional CPG that can bring to uh, a natural food company. Just a quick break before we go back to our interview. If you're here for the first time, make sure to check out our archives. In addition to the one-on-one interviews, we have some great episodes that are more narrative historical pieces, including a look at the history of the supermarket, the creation of food label claims, and a look at how undocumented immigrants form the backbone of the agricultural economy. Now a quick word from a friend of the show with a special reminder. This is Robert Noble, famed stage designer of the cornucopia. But Robert, we don't have a stage. Uh, They just can't see it. (laughs) If you like what you imagine, please sign up to cornucopia. Uh, I think what he's saying is sign up for our email list on cornucopia.show. Did you get that? Cornucopia.show, for God's sakes. And now back to our interview with Mike. I want to address your uh, your question about innovation because that's actually a word that is getting thrown around uh, prolifically by uh, by traditional uh, CPG companies. And there's there's three kinds of innovation. There's uh, innovation where you take uh, where you f- identify a use case and you create a product or a different form of the product for that use case. And Mike, uh, I'm familiar with the use case, but Explain that in more simple terms. Sure. Um, when you are eating a uh, yogurt, uh, tr- yogurt traditionally has been in a cup and you need a spoon. Um, years ago, there was the identification that um, in order to uh, make yogurt available on the go, it was um, packaged in a tube. And so you could just tear open the tube and, and eat it as you go. You didn't need a spoon. So that's that's um, that's an example of a use case. Like cup of soup. So... so that's one place where innovation takes place where essentially you identify um, an, a company will identify an opportunity to modify the packaging or the delivery system or sometimes even the formula to um, serve, serve a particular use case that a consumer might have where they might not otherwise be able to consume the product. That's one. The second which is, um, I don't think innovation is actually the right term for it. It's more like combination, but it gets called innovation. Um, the best example I can give you is where you have um, a, a prepackaged some more product. So, you know, normally you would buy your chocolate bar, your graham cracker, and your marshmallows. And you would cook, you know, cook your marshmallows and make a sandwich, and you've got yourself a s'more. Um, in this case, 
a company decided, well, let's combine that and we'll create a ready-made s'more so you don't have to cook it or you can have it whenever you want. Some companies would call that their innovation. I would call that a combination. It certainly permits consumption of that product when you're not around a fire to melt your marshmallow. But nonetheless, it's not as exciting as the third scenario, which is where true innovation comes in from really what is from the natural products industry. Virtually all emerging trends in new products and new ingredients have emerged from things like kombucha, meat alternatives, non-dairy beverages, aromatherapy, superfoods, chia, flax, hemp, and on and on. And so the idea is that innovation is not where you incrementally change something within a commodity category. It's where you literally create a new form or a new product altogether for something that wasn't there and you disrupt an existing category. So when it comes to innovation, traditional CPGs have a mindset for, that I mentioned, either a use case packaging change or a combination. And what consumers are looking for today is true innovation, exploration, new flavors of the world for a CPG to buy a company or brand that's already doing that than it is necessarily to develop their own. And second, you have a brand equity where a traditional CPG stands for something in their mind, in a consumer's mind, and to introduce something that is too cutting edge or too innovative becomes a disconnect for the consumer. And so they're not quite sure how to approach it, which is why CPGs are tending to make either incremental changes to their products to be more on trend with some of these attributes, but still within their traditional product, or like I said, acquiring or investing in these newer brands that are doing it from the start. And one of the things that I find fascinating, if you go back to the 80s, at that point, Lipton had bought Celestial Seasonings, then they sold it back to Mo Siegel and some of the original founders. Kraft at that point had bought Lifestream, which is now the Nature's Path brand, and sold it back to Aaron Stevens. Welch's had bought Cascadian Farm, sold it back. In the 2000s, you had a variety of brands, Frito-Lay Naturals, and Nabisco was doing some of their crackers as uh, organic. Prego had an organic line at that time. So this is almost like CPG Natural Organic 3.0. It's like their third time around. Yeah, and I think, though, that um, this is different because this is permanent. Um, this, this is a reflection of cultural changes, buying habit changes, uh, technology uh, influences, et cetera. And so... Um, we have a very different, very different uh, marketplace. These are not, um, uh, you know, what's hot and fashionable for the for the period. These these are permanent shifts in, in how we eat and how we, uh, where we eat and um, what we eat. All right, we're back with another reminder. Rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. Sign up for our email list at cornucopia.show. And we need your stories, folks. We're launching a new segment in January called Grocery Hell. Inspired by my own true life nightmares as a wholesale grocery rep with a mediocre distributor. We want to hear from you, soccer moms, truck drivers, store managers, cashiers, sales reps, regional managers, 
send us your nightmares to contact at cornucopia.show put grocery hell in the subject line and we'll get back to you whether or not we feel your story really was grocery hell or you just need to toughen up drink some more coffee and stop being so emo now back to our interview with mike thanks for listening I do want to um, mention some of the things that uh, Campbell's has declared because they do differentiate themselves uh, as a standout among their peers in terms of where they want to go and how they want to transform. You know, at at their investor meeting uh, this past July, uh, Denise Morrison, the CEO of the company, made some very bold declarations about the true north of the company is that Campbell wants to be the leading health and well-being food company, and they want to be the standard bearer of transparency for food companies. Health and well-being is the lens by which all new product is being developed. She even she also said that the future of food is rooted in health and well-being and that um, the need to change is urgent and that companies who don't evolve to align will be extinct like the dinosaurs. They will be the ones to watch. They are they are having um, some, uh, you know, I mean, their financials don't reflect that vision because they are in an investment period, they're in a transformation period, and, um, you know, their stock price is down as a result while investors wait to see what happens. And, you know, they continue to go through some of these growing pains and transition pains. But the the the, the at the end of the day, Campbell has... Um, declared its very distinct vision and not to be, not to change itself, uh, you know, like um, many of the other CPG companies are thinking about sort of holding on to their past and to their legacy and and um, uh, ways and products and so forth and thinking. But Campbell is really changing the way they think. It's uh, evolving with the times. And, um, you know, I think uh, they're really uh, to be uh, commended for that. Financial and invest- investor community uh, is um, fleeing uh, traditional food stocks and traditional retail right now because of the um, investments <clears throat> that are being made by these companies to uh, adapt uh, to the new world order. Um, and it's very unclear. I mean, literally, the playbook is unfolding before our eyes. Um, a lot of this stuff has never been done before by public companies. There's um, no playbook and, uh, and benchmark for it. And so that uncertainty um, creates uh, fear and, and uh, risk for investors. And uh, so for the most part, you know, given that they look quarter to quarter, um, you know, a lot of them have exited uh, or, you know, either put uh, ratings of uh, hold or, or sell um, on these stocks. And, and I think that um, – and, and I don't want to um, paint too broad of a stroke. There are some that do believe in, in that longer-term vision um, and that longer, longer return uh, – I'm sorry, longer high, high, uh, horizon for a return. But um, the reality is, is that right now nobody knows how long it, this is going to take. Nobody knows where the bottom is. Nobody knows what it looks like on the other side. And then, of course, you have, um, you know, Amazon in the mix and all these other changes that are occurring in, in the food companies. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a time of uncertainty, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a time of uncertainty, but that uncertainty is an opportunity. 
And I think that many companies are looking to that uncertainty as an opportunity to change. You know, changing means big investments, and nobody knows who's going to win yet. Have you, have you had your soup today? All right. Well, thank you again for the opportunity, and it's always a pleasure to talk. Have you had your soup today? That's our show, another geeky episode in the books. Check out our earlier episodes, History of the Supermarket, Episode 1, What Changed the Way You Shop, and also look at the Amazon purchase of Whole Foods. Thanks again to Mike Movitz. Learn more about him at movitzgroup.com. A hug and a sloppy kiss to Robert Noble, interior designer, stage and set designer of our imaginary theater here. Also, big hug to Fritz Van Orden, mastermind of the band The Ordinaires, for his iconic dance of the Cocoa Krispies. We'll be back soon. Thanks again. This is Cornucopia.